Hi, and welcome back to Foundations by NGen Season 2. The podcast that encourages young professionals in the engineering industry as they navigate and start their careers. Within the engineering industry, there are a whole bunch of organizations, nonprofits, associations, that have sometimes hundreds of volunteers and members all creating change. And this is on top of their day job. Why do they do it? And why does it matter? In this season, those people who somehow manage to do career and volunteer within these organizations that are making a difference are going to be taking over each episode to have conversations centered around the key question, why it matters. You're listening to Foundations by NGen, and this is episode one of season two of Why It Matters. Today, I'm going to be handing over to Pat from Engineers Without Borders. Hey, Pat, thanks so much for taking over the podcast today. No, thank you, Kev. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi, I'm Patrick. I'm a fourth year mechanical and aerospace engineering student at the University of Queensland. And I'm also a part of the executive team of Engineers Without Borders here. And what are you going to be talking about today? Oh, Kev, I was so happy when you came to me with the topic of why it matters. Today, I'm going to be discussing with a group of people I've met through my time here with with Engineers Without Borders about why it matters, why Engineers Without Borders matters, and organizations such as this matter. That sounds pretty cool. And who are you going to be speaking to today? We've got our senior engineer, Mr. Gavin Blakey, who's also chair of the board of Engineers Without Borders Australia. We've got two graduate engineers, Sophie and Madison, who are predecessors of mine here at the University of Queensland, as well as current undergraduate going into their final year, Miss Chloe, who is our current vice president here at the EWB chapter. Awesome. And what type of stuff are you guys going to be covering? Today, we're going to be talking about the experiences that this panel has had within Engineers Without Borders. We're going to be discussing design summits, engineering on country experience, school outreach and design challenges as well as appropriate technology and how it comes up in EWB and how it's applicable to everyone in their day-to-day life. Cool. Well, take it away. No worries. Thank you. And I guess we'll jump in with everyone introducing themselves. Hello, my name is Maddie. I graduated last year with a degree in chemical and environmental engineering, and I'm currently working as a consultant here in Brisbane. My name is Sophie, so I graduated Civil Environmental Engineering last year um, and I'm now working in Oregon as a Flooding and Drainage Engineer. I'm Chloe, I'm in my penultimate year of Chemical and Biological Engineering and uh, I have two years experience as an executive on the UQEWB team. Hi, I'm Gavin and I'm old. (laughs) 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 So I graduated a long time ago, so eight years in private enterprise, 30 years in local government and I'm currently involved with Engineers Without Borders for the last probably five years. I'm currently chair of the board of Engineers Without Borders and also have the chance to work overseas with EWB in country. Fantastic. Mm. And you said you got involved five years ago. Yeah. How, how did you get involved? Well, we had a what we call Link Festival, which was a, like a conference, which was quite inspiring. I think Sophie, you've probably been to one of those. I've heard about it, but I haven't actually been. been one. Yeah. yeah. Because they haven't been on for the last kind of, probably four years or so. But I just heard about it and thought, oh, it sounds really interesting because it was completely outside my usual area of interest in the sense that I normally go on a technical conference. I thought, this is a really powerful combination of bringing some technical people along, but also from a people perspective, they had to... Um, what appeared to be really inspiring speakers and I thought, hmm, 
this will be really interesting. So I went along and I was surrounded by these enthusiastic, passionate people and I thought, I want to be part of that. <laughs> and that's really where my journey started because I was inspired by the people and the passion and, and seeing the possibilities of what might be possible. And that what would enable me to say, well, I'd like to be part of that. What could I contribute? And so that's where my journey began. Amazing. It's amazing you talk about the passion of the people. Myself, my involvement started with the passion of these three as well. Mm-hmm. And actually, how did you get started? So, My parents met working for Doctors Without Borders. So that's mm-hmm. kind of like a precursor nice. to everything. So that's, I guess, where my interest came into it at the start of my engineering degree. I spent a few years kind of trying to get involved and couldn't really find a lot of avenues until I lived with Tale, who was the president nice. at that time. Um, and just kind of started volunteering along with that sort of stuff. And then Chloe and I became uh, Regenerary Unisec, and that's kind of where it started. I did the design summit too. Nice, nice. And Chloe? Um, I first learned about EWB through the design challenge in first year engineering. Like I heard about all the workshops that they run for school students, and I was really interested in pushing my love of STEM onto other children. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Maddie, something similar as well. I feel like you're the type who wants to push your love onto others. Oh, definitely. <laughs> um, actually, it was by mere coincidence that a friend of mine had heard about the chapter at UQ and she didn't want to go to a meeting by herself. So <laughs> I yeah, went to a first meeting with her and just have not left ever since. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. And you were president for, was it two years? No, so I was a school outreach volunteer and then I became the regional regioneering coordinator before before Sophie and Chloe. And then from the, and then the following year, I, I, I was the president of the UQ chapter. Hey, so there's some terms coming up that you might not have heard of before. So Pat's just going to jump in and explain what they are. So here's Pat. If you're wondering about the on-country volunteering experiences, these are targeted at professional engineers who are able to volunteer their skills and their time to a project. Historically, these have been in Cambodia, Nepal and Timor-Leste. However, EWB operates all over the Asia-Pacific region, offering projects anywhere between 6 to 18 months. So in case you didn't know about the design summits, these are two week long professional experiences offered to university students, however I do know some professionals who have gone, that provide participants with experience in humanitarian skills and insights, along with community and client engagement, and best practices in appropriate technology or app tech. Appropriate technology, or app tech, is something we talk a lot about in engineering, and particularly in EWB, we like to extend it to not just including the cost, the physical environment, or the maintenance involved, but also inclusive of locally available materials, required knowledge, and most importantly, the people and the culture. And in case you're wondering what school outreach is, school outreach is the workshops that fall under the educational sector of EWB, largely done through the student chapters. This is how we engage with primary and secondary schooling students to share our passion for STEM, as well as introduce the concept of engineering that isn't just all maths and technology, but the large human aspect that's involved. Thanks, Pat, and back to the conversation. And I think another question for everyone then, in in that time, like what's been a highlight? Has there been something that stood out as being the best best thing that you couldn't have done without EWB or? Mm. The standout for me is uh, having a chance to work in country. And after I've been inspired by uh, that conference I mentioned, the Link Festival, 
And my wife had already done some international development work and I'd visited her in Vietnam and thought, she's having a great time here <laughs> doing this work. I want to do some of that. So the next, her next appointment was into Cambodia. So I took some long service leave and I spoke to Lizzie Brown, who was our CEO at that stage, and Heidi Michael, our international development manager, and said, listen, I'm taking some long service leave. Is there something I can do uh, to help out EWB? And so they framed up a bit of a project on professional development. And what was really fascinating for me in that was that I thought that people in places like Cambodia would be very interested in technical you know, development, but actually it turned out they were most interested in people and organisational development. <laughs> so being the highlight for me, I think, was then being inspired by that experience and being asked to go back for a year as the uh, in-country manager because uh, being close, literally on the ground, <laughs> at the working with people and seeing design summits come through and working with them and then working with the local people and learning so much from them. Some of the most inspiring people I've ever met are from those experiences. So it was that kind of on-the-ground experience which was quite um, seminal in, in me deciding I want to do more of that. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. And you guys? I think for me it stems kind of from a similar place. Initially, the Design Summit, which kind of introduced me to that whole idea of humanitarian engineering, which I did that quite early in my degree, and those principles I ended up, you know, applying to a lot of the work that I did at university. The human-centered design. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, you know, like sustainability, appropriate technology, kind of things like that as well. And then I think a lot of it lies in the people. Mm. Like the reason I'm here today, these mm. people are amazing, and I love talking about this. So that's mm. something that is super highly valuable in mm. EWB. Yeah, fantastic. And many a highlight. Well, definitely the design summit is an amazing opportunity, and I think that. That really kick-started my passion for, for EWB, but I think for me the highlight has been doing things locally, especially with the school outreach that we do. Like I was, I was fortunate enough to go all the way to the Torres Strait Islands and run a bunch of workshops with the kids there and it was just absolutely amazing and yeah, like the local impact you can do with, with the you know, free time in between uni was just yeah, a really amazing aspect. I think uh, I would have to go with the same sort of experiences. I think being involved with AWB has given me access to opportunities that are really hard to come by. There are incredible opportunities to go to remote communities and volunteer and inspire like rural communities and um, yeah I think it's probably been as valuable as all of the academic stuff that mm. I've done at university, for sure. Mm, for sure, for sure. And you went to, Chloe, you followed Maddie 12 months later and went to the Torres Strait now 12 months ago. How was that? I think it's probably one of the coolest things I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> they they don't get too many visitors up there other than, I think, like North Queensland Cowboys <laughs> yeah, and, and, like, the Army. So the kids in, in school there, like... You really mean a lot to them, I think. Yeah, it was it was really inspiring to myself. I hope, as well as the kids. I hope. So <laughs> yeah. 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 For sure. I think just for some context, I leave for the Torres Strait on Sunday, so I'm, I'm <laughs> oh, amazing. Most excited about this. Amazing. But um, we've just spoken about sort of highlights in EWB and highlights over the past x amount of years being involved. And it's that time in country, it's that time on your design summits and in rural and regional communities that seem to stand out to everyone. Why is it that these matters, why is, is it that these, um, these, I guess, experiences and these trips and that, why is it that they matter? 
I think diversity and representation are really important. So when you're an engineer, you really have to know who you're engineering for. And the more that you know, I think the better you can do your job. Um, Not just that, but also engineering can have a huge impact in a community. And so if you can inspire that from within a community and not from the outside, I think that's really beneficial as well. And yourself, did you do your design summit in Cambodia? Yes, I did it in Cambodia. I think for me, it kind of all comes down to connection, connection with people. And that's something that's really valuable that is not maybe quite as um, emphasized in university. And seeing the impact that you can have on the ground and seeing the change that you can create. Yeah, like Chloe said, both for yourself and other people. And having that human connection is Mm. very inspiring. Mm. And Gavin, I guess you spent a fair bit longer in, in, mm. in country. Would you say the same thing? Yeah, I would certainly concur with all that's been said here. And it's about the people. So that's what really makes the difference. And, they, and so I sometimes think that the people that have the least give the most. And so when you're in a country, in a remote community, and they're like giving you what seems to be their food, like, I don't want to take that because you wouldn't have any, but it, you don't want to offend them either because it's a big, it makes a big deal for them to be able to offer that food. And I think about, say, Mr. T at that school that uh, I did some work with, and we still support that school, and just how strategic he is. He's like, he's not that well-educated in the formal sense, like certainly didn't go to university, and, uh, but one of the most strategic thinkers you could ever come across. You can see the con- connectivity about if kids want to be studying at school, then they need to have a full belly, and so therefore he started up a kitchen in the school for the poorest kids from Saltfields, and and if they are going to study well, they need to have a good night's sleep, so the poorest community, uh, community members, they go and help build houses for those, and then when the house is built, they either have to put a little bit of money in with it or a bit of sweat equity, which is where you actually help the building. And then the parents actually put their thumbprint onto a, a, a contract to say they're going to send their kids to school. Because he can see that, well, you don't want the kids to be now just stopping home. They need to still be coming to school. So there's a commitment from the parents. And it's kind of like Maslow's he needs hierarchy in a way that he's figured that out himself. Mm. That if you've got all these aspects tying together, then you're going to get educated kids. If you've got educated kids, then you're going to have an economic development in the community so it can now look after itself. And so one of the young people went through his school is now studying engineering in Vietnam, has been offered a scholarship up in Russia, and this is a kid from the salt fields, otherwise would have had no education. And it's a typical story that you come across. And an extension of that is that um, I had one of my biggest engineering um, experiences there, and uh, Mr T said to me, oh, listen, we've got a bit of ponding over here in the car park, or it wasn't a car park, they don't have cars, but over in the, the sort of driveway area. And he said, oh, can you do something about that? <laughs> yeah, I'm a stormwater engineer, of course I can do something about that. <laughs> so I designed up a bit of a stormwater inlet and a bit of a pipe, and it was very, very, very basic because they don't have many materials there. And so I showed it to him, I sort of sketched it up, and he said, oh, yeah, that looks good, Gavin, but I don't think that would work very well because I put a grate there, a gully grate, so the water could go in. He said, oh, I don't think that'll work very well because the kids will pick up the rocks and throw it in there because <laughs> of the splashing water. It's like, yeah, that's true. It'll fill up with rocks. Ooh. I hadn't thought of that. And then I said to him, well, what do you think about the rest of it? He said, oh, I think it's a bit expensive. We can't afford the concrete for that. 
why don't we just, because you might remember over in Cambodia, the bricks are quite, they're about 100 millimetres by 100 millimetres by about 300 millimetres. And they've got these holes going through the full length of them. So he said, why don't we just um, turn those around so that the water can go through the holes and go into the gully inlet through those holes. And that way the water can go in, but the, the rocks don't go in. Well, that's a good idea. Why don't we do that? Turns out that this one that was constructed cost like 10 US dollars. The one that I designed probably would have cost, I don't know, 100 US dollars or 50 US dollars. But here's the principal of the school, who's not an engineer, figuring out what's the best way to build that gully inlet. So there's an engineering, I suppose, lesson from a school from the principal of the school who's really practical and what's going to work and what doesn't. And in EWB we call it aptic, appropriate technology. So the one that I designed, which was concrete, which they couldn't afford, uh, was, did, wasn't appropriate. The one that he designed, which is bricks turned around like this, like, yeah, that'll work. <laughs> so I think the lesson there is about you learn much more than you, you think you are even possibly giving. Oh, that's so good. I love that. That's genius i remember those bricks and thought they were yeah. fantastic the way they manufacture them yeah. i can't remember what it is but the way they make them it's just they come out so so quickly and yeah. multiple purposes of course yeah giving back to that app tech yeah i think something you were just saying in there before about the um the young fellow from the salt flats mm. and how was it mr t yeah mr t encouraged yeah. all those sort of i guess good practices to mm. help kids through or staying in school mm. Maddie, I then move a question to you about how within, so school outreach, something that we, we run here within EWB, trying to encourage different students um, who might not otherwise want to be an engineer into engineering. In your experience in this, I know you're a, somewhat of an icon in the UQ's <laughs> field of, why do you believe these programs matter and particularly the way in which EWB does it? Oh, I think it just, like, Chloe mentioned it before, but it's it's really about just encouraging diversity, I think, because, you know, even when I was in high school, I had no idea what an engineer was. When I heard about it, I thought it was, you know, some guy in a hard hat on a train. Like, that was my understanding of engineering and science and maths. I, I really loved those classes, and I was really, I was really good at them. So my, my jump into engineering was looking at university degrees that I could get into and going oh maths and science is required for this degree let's just apply <laughs> so I guess because I come from a background that didn't really have exposure to uh, to engineering or a really even just broad stem careers I wasn't really exposed to so like I personally can see the benefit of it like I just happen to choose engineering as my as my degree when I was applying for university it wasn't it was basically dumb luck and I ended up really liking it and you know making a career out of it now and you know if it wasn't for dumb luck I probably wouldn't be in this situation like I wouldn't be here right now I'd be I don't know doing something else that I probably wouldn't like to like to be doing <laughs> but is it EWB is a totally different side of engineering that you know exactly like Maddie said people don't think about people don't see and I think, you know, little things that people say sometimes can make a huge difference in someone's life. So exposing people to that, yeah. Mm, yeah, and I know even just seeing different types of people doing that career. Like, I remember going to a school and, like, a girl came up to me after the workshop and she was like, I didn't know women could be engineers. That's mm. so cool. Yeah, awesome mm. when it and, mm. yeah, just having representation yes. I think is really important and like I know EWB didn't 
start out trying to become, you know, I guess a bit of an icon for pushing for diversity mm. in engineering, but it just kind of naturally happened because mm. I think, because we're, we're a bunch of people who are really, mm. I think, socially conscious mm. and mm. we have really good, um, well, we try, we try to do good in, in, um, mm. <laughs> in the world and in the work we do. And I think that just naturally, naturally um, attracts a variety of different different people from different backgrounds so mm. yeah I think it's an important point to raise too I mean we recently run that national award from Engineers Australia for um, representation of, of women in our organisation and when you look at some of the stats it's just extraordinary that across Australia the number of engineers is about 12 to 13 percent is female mm. so that's like that's not enough uh, whereas when you look at EWB, the, the, the membership or the volunteering is actually probably closer to 40%. If you look at the leadership, it's probably closer to two-thirds. If you look at the staff, it's closer to 80%. It's female. So what is going on there? There's something good going on. I know that. Um, I think it was women who have an engineer as a parent or a close family member or something are significantly more likely to go into engineering. So I think... If you are able to see engineering as a possible field for you and you're able to show that to people before they start university, I think it's going to be a huge factor in making more people consider it as a future career choice. Mm. It seems like the role model is really important too, about who was it said, was Maddie said, one of the girls came up and said, or Chloe said about, I um, didn't know that women could be engineers. It's like yeah. so wonderful that there are role models there for them to, to see, oh, yeah, that is possible. I've got a colleague at work and, and her daughter is quite young and, and she's trying to, and she's an engineer, but my colleague, and she's trying to influence her daughter into engineering. <laughs> and so if, if she's having a challenge, being able to do that, then it must be more challenging for others who haven't been exposed to in, to engineering at all. And so I think, what can we do to be able to inspire even more girls into engineering by seeing what's possible? Maybe a question. Maybe a question for you, Chloe, as the only undergraduate here. What's a good way to say it? I feel as an undergraduate, you start being a little bit. You make things up a little bit because you haven't got the experience yet. Yeah, I but do too. Still, <laughs> <laughs> we're all no. pretending we know yeah. what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't know if that makes me confident. <laughs> but the the need for diversity, and I say the need for it, but asking again. So why is why is diversity matter so much? And to you, and maybe a little bit more objectively, why do you think it matters so much? Yeah. So I think there's real value that comes with having a wide range of experiences and backgrounds. I actually really noticed it this semester. I did a course called Professional Practice where I was thrown into a group with people from a whole bunch of different majors. And even the way that we write reports and the way that we do group assignments was really different. And that's just in the span of like three years of university. And I actually learned a lot from my teammates that were in mechanical and civil engineering and software and electrical. and It was probably one of the best groups that I've ever worked with because we really did have a wide range of skills and we were able to take advantage of different strengths and weaknesses really well. Um, I think if you can do that in an engineering environment, at the end of the day, you're going to come out with a better solution, particularly if it's for a group that you're not from. The more background experience you have, the better. And maybe throwing it to our two young graduates. Yeah. The same question: you, diversity in a workplace. How, what's it matter? Why does it matter? 
I think for me, I very strongly agree with Chloe. Like, ideas come from people with different backgrounds, and you know, someone might have, you know, one one person in my team at the moment. First, she was a nurse, and she was in the army. Now she's in engineering, and she has high expectations of herself and doesn't think she's really performing at work. But I'm like, you have such a different point of view to so many other people, and there's so much value in that. And that's a culture that where I work, they really try to kind of create the culture of everyone has a different background and that background is valuable. For example, today I was at a, um, so the infrastructure leadership team globally for our company has a quarterly meeting and that's kind of, you know, all the global service leads and all the client managers for all the different kind of services we have in infrastructure. And so I got to go to that because they value having, you know, people with different backgrounds having input into that sort of thing. And that's, yeah, I guess it comes back to diversity in thought. And that's the thing we discussed a lot today as well, you know, having true diversity within a workplace and how valuable that is. Talking about, again, on the design summits and your time volunteering in Cambodia, I just want to pose the question of the significance volunteer work in in these sort of fields has on everyone, I guess. Well, from a, from a design summit perspective, the design summits are really more about yeah it gives you the experience of being a technical professional in the context of working with real people and community members who you know your potent your design will potentially have really significant impacts to their daily lives and that I guess that knowledge that you gain from the design summit it doesn't just apply in a volunteering context it also applies to any professional context where you do have to engage with community members and and the public and a lot of a lot of engineering projects especially in the design the design space at the end of the day there's going to be a human being interacting with that thing that you design so really understanding and having having the ability to really put yourself in someone else's shoes and you know, really open up and ask those questions and engage really well with community members. That's just a really important skill to have. And if if you well, if you do if you are able to interact the way, then it's just going to make you a better engineer and a better and a better professional professional in my opinion. So yeah, and the design summit as a as a student was probably my first experience in that area. I just build on that. And yeah. I went to a workshop today and it was on human-centered design, being run by the HR people in our organisation. And I thought, oh, I need to go to that. Yeah. <laughs> hear what, from their perspective what they're, what they're thinking, what they're saying. And, of course, it's very aligned with what we call human-centered design, which we're now calling human-centered engineering. And it picks up on this empathy that Maddie has mentioned there. I saw a great quote that one of the speakers had, and I don't know whether she created the quote or whether it's quoting someone else. I think it might be her who came up with it. Said that empathy is the best, empathy is the best disruptive technology we have. That's really worth um, thinking about, isn't it? Empathy is the best disruptive technology we have. Because we often think of the technology being the microphone or the computer or something that's high-tech, and yet the most disruptive in a positive way, technology, is to be empathetic and understand because you can have a perfect solution technologically, but actually if the, 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 the community can't use it, won't use it, doesn't understand how to use it, then it's actually not a good solution. It might be technologically brilliant, but actually doesn't solve the problem. So this is where this empathy piece comes in. And one of the things I love about volunteering is it really opens our mind to 
other experiences which we don't necessarily have in our day-to-day -day work. But then with those experiences we have in the volunteering, we can bring back to our day-to-day -day work and make what we do in our day-to-day -day work more powerful. So I think that's the combination of the volunteering and the empathy coming together, learning and understanding more about empathy through our volunteering. I think in a similar sense, I don't know if it was you, Maddie, that said it one time, but you chose engineering for the maths and chemistry and science, but you stayed for EWB. So I started engineering. It was I liked it, but I wasn't really sure where I was going to go with it. And um, I think what's so great about EWB is there are so many opportunities to volunteer, but there are some really incredible opportunities to volunteer in places that um, that have a lot of engineering challenges. And it, it will enable you to see the impact of the things that you're studying and the potential impact that you can have as a professional engineer. So when I went to the Torres Straits, it was the first time I've ever been in a, like a really um, indigenous community. And I was sort of for the first time exposed to problems in water infrastructure. And I didn't realize the flow and impacts that it would have in all of the other areas of life. So like the local school there was blowing through their academic budget to provide all of their students with bottled water just to make sure they weren't drinking from the taps because it might get them sick. So um, it was quite a frustrating experience because it was sort of like, I wish I could do something to help. And it really confirmed to me that engineering is what I want to do mm -hmm. because it's like such an empowering uh, degree or such an empowering background if you really want to make a difference in a community like that. Yeah, and I think from the from yeah our experiences with the school outreach program, it it also highlights that although Australia is a first world country, there are still very serious technical challenges that some of our most disadvantaged communities face. And you know, it, it is frustrating, you know, we're you know, I we're a first world country, these problems shouldn't shouldn't be here. They sh but they are. So and I guess I know EWB is is expanding in this space in particular as well as our our great international work. But yeah, there's still there's still challenges in our own country. Yeah. Can I throw a question together? Oh, actually? oh it's my... So I guess you talked about, you know, your workshop at work about human sense yeah. of design and yeah. empathy. Have you kind of seen a shift in the focus of, you know, corporate and industry in that sense yeah. towards being more focused on that sort of side of things? Yeah, the short answer is yes. I think it is, can be quite lumbering sometimes, as in it takes a while to shift um, because there's so much momentum built up in certain directions. But then we just see successes. And one of the speakers today gave a great example of, she was talking about being at the front end of designing process and projects. Because if you don't get it right then, you're going to be spending, a, investing a little bit here, it's going to make a huge difference over time. In fact, if you don't invest that, it cost, could cost you a huge amount to fix the problem later on. And it's kind of like the same, and we've seen that little graph which shows that the, the, the consequences of decisions at the design stage is significant. Uh, it impacts then runs down like this to say that well by the time you get to operations and maintenance construction most of the major decisions have been made in the design phase it's kind of the same principle with human centered design if you get that piece wrong if you're solving the wrong problem then you're creating a bigger bigger problem so i can see a shift in organizations seeing the value in that and 
And fortunately or unfortunately, a lot of the focus is on the bottom line, the dollars. Well, talk in that language and people listen. <laughs> so although our intent is actually about involving people and it's about engaging with people, sometimes you need to be able to demonstrate that in a way to say, it's going to save you this much money if you do this. And that gets their attention and then, well, it's all good because now they're investing in doing the human-centered design. So I think it's quite mixed in how quickly it's changing, but it definitely is changing. And the more that there is momentum of people saying, oh, actually this works over here, let's do more of that, then there's more people then come on board. It's kind of a stonewalling effect. Have you ever seen that that clip of one guy who's at a festival, he stands up to dance and nobody else is on a slope looking down towards the sea and then he's just dancing away. The second person comes and joins him and the, well, actually, well, a few more people come. So it kind of gets that momentum going. But the, the braveness is both the first and second person to be the first person who's been brave to do it, the second person is a fast follower to support him. And I think it's kind of like that in this human-centered design, so it, it, or human-centered engineering, is that if more of us can be doing it, more people are inspired. So the shift is changing, but I think the momentum can become greater. Yeah, no, definitely working in consulting, because I have this background of being really passionate about EWB. Mm. You know, the reason I chose Oricon was because they kind of were focused on that. And, you know, as far as consulting firms go, they all kind of do the same thing. So we're at this point where to, mm. to you know, be competitive in that market, being different is actually something that's really valued. Um, yes. mm. But you're right, it always comes down to money. So yeah. I guess that is still a way that you always have to put it down to money. Yeah. Um, but I think it is really empowering to see that people are actually talking about that and, you know, talking, trying to create that change from yeah. within organizations that have the power to. Yeah, and what I heard firsthand from some consultants who will say that if they see a person who's got an EWB, they've been in, a, in the chapter and in a leadership role, like they're definitely getting an interview. So <laughs> that they go into that pile straight up because I think they can see the value in investing in people who have got the people skills and got a human-centered design approach because they know that it will make a difference to the, the solutions that they come up with. And that's exciting to see that change. Is sure. Now they're wanting to recruit people who have been involved with EWB, and that's a first-hand experience from a very senior person in an engineering consultancy who's saying, yep, I want to interview EWBers, because <laughs> they're gaining that experience in another organisation which they can then bring to our organisation. So it's exciting to see that the change is coming. I think there's also another aspect too where um, people are choosing who they work for based on who they want to work for. There are a number of wonderful, I know certainly from first-hand experience with EWB, who are getting many job offers, more than one job offer anyway, and that they are then having to make their choice as to who they want to work for based on, if you like, the values or what that organisation is saying they do and, and are doing. That's an exciting change too, isn't it? Being able to choose where you want to work based on that, those values. Mm. Yeah, and I know definitely from, like, from my experience with the people I graduated with, the, the discussions around the type of company and the work culture and the opportunities mm. that are there, that's, I'd say that's probably more important nowadays than, mm. you know, getting the big bucks from <laughs> X company, that yeah. blah, 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 but yeah. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, when you apply for jobs, people always say, you know, look at the values of the company. And when I applied for jobs, I didn't really think that was very important. But when you're working in a place, you yep. can, I find mm. that actually really valuable. Yeah. Because in some ways, values sound a bit esoteric, don't they? Mm -hmm. But then when you, you contextualize it, or what does that really mean on the ground? 
Ah, okay, that's what that means. And then once again, I think in the absence of it is when you notice it. <laughs> yeah. Like it flows it through in kind of, you know, what projects they do, what the work you do. Yes, yeah. Mm. The behaviours of people within an yeah. organisation, and that can be either very inspiring or not. And so that's, and the word gets around, doesn't it? So it's like, yeah, this is a great company to work for, a great organisation to work for. If that's aligning with your value, then it attracts more people who are like that too. So that's a great news story. Mm-hmm. Might go back to my initial question, which is EWB, the work Engineers Without Borders does, why does it matter? Why does EWB matter? I think there's something really exciting happening right now where industry is is kind of going through this shift in how we do things and what we value. And a lot of the ideas and concepts that people are talking about now EWB has been talking about for years, Um, human-centered design, appropriate technology, all of that jargon. Yeah, it's been ingrained in EWB, not only in the international work that we do, but also here locally and and also in the the training programs that we have for for students and, and university students. So, and also as as someone who only really had exposure to engineering once I had started my degree and really getting involved in Engineers Without Borders, from that point of view, I think it's really important to have organisations like this who are really welcoming to people who, you know, may not have the best grades or the biggest knowledge in certain fields. Yeah, I think that's fundamentally why it's really important too. So? Why is EWB important? I am going to throw back to people, to making a connection with people who care about the same things as you, who inspire you. Every time I hang around with EWB people, I'm happy. (laughs) I love talking about it. I, I think this year, starting work, there's been a lot going on and I've kind of struggled to you know, everything's going to be too much. And I've been kind of thinking, okay, what actually really matters to me and what do I want to spend my time doing? Because I think going from uni into work is really, really big change. And a friend once said to me, he was like, try and kind of choose what you want to spend your time on. Think about, does it make you happy before? Does it make you happy during? Does it make you happy after? And, you know, I'm doing some EWB stuff at work now. And he kind of said, you know, like EWB is great, that's a part of you, but can you maybe like not do a lot for the next six months? And I was like, you know, actually, when I do it, it makes me really, really happy before, really happy to, and really, really happy after. And so, I don't know, that's kind of why it matters for me at the moment. I think I agree. It's engineering, but through the lens of a human rather than just technology or money. I think that has a fundamental impact on the way that engineering is done and engineers themselves. Fantastic. Uh, for me, it's about the people and the planet, uh, and the two are obviously inextricably linked. But uh, the people now are starting to see, I think, the the value of coming together to be able to be connect on some of the connect some of the dots and to make a difference collectively. So I think what we bring to the table is that opportunity and the ability to be able to do that, and like-minded individuals. But that, that's it's kind of an interesting term, isn't it? In a way, is I think that what's also it's like-minded in intent. But actually, there's a whole diversity in 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 the thinking 
uh, of the various people. I mean, we're quite open to being exploring uh, different ideas that might work. And if, you, if you look at some of the designs, so much you see all the ideas that get thrown in there, and uh, it's quite diverse in, in some of the ideas, but then you narrow it down to what's going to be most effective in this instance. So there can be a lot of uh, diversity in thought. I mean, another thought that I had on that actually is I've often found with EWB people that they are studying in a, a number of different areas. And Chloe's mentioned she's doing bio, biomedical and chemical, did you say? Yeah. yeah. Uh, another an example would be one of our members over in WA was doing, did a degree in engineering and philosophy. Oh. Like, that is genius because that's so diverse. What could you bring to the table with a, with a degree like that? All these areas are bringing together what might be possible, whereas I think in the past we've seen them as individual areas. The power and the solutions will be bringing the people and the diversity of thinking together to create the best solutions for, for people and the planet. And the other aspect, I think, is the, the bringing together the people, that sort of momentum that can bring them. I'm reminded of the Margaret Mead quote, and Margaret Mead was a maybe a sociologist or an anthropologist, I think she was. And she said something like that, never doubt that a small group of people can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. So never doubt that a small group of people can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. And that's how I kind of think of us as an organisation. We're small when we think of ourselves as a small giant, if you like. Small and powerful in being able to bring the momentum, start the momentum, start up rolling, and then people say, oh, I'd like to be part of that. <laughs> uh, well, what's going on here? And that, that way is changing the world through a few people who are willing to be, um, to put themselves out there and make a difference. And then they are inspired by others, as, as Sophie's mentioned, as I mean, being around other people inspires us as well. And it's kind of like a snowballing effect. And I think that can be really powerful. So that's what BWB does for me, is helps to help people and also helps people to be thinking about the planet at the same time. That's fantastic, that's fantastic. I love how I took a note at the start to try and, I guess, summarize with, was that you all mentioned your favorite experiences had come from involvement of people mm -hmm. and the people that you're involved with. And then as we all finish on what, what matters the most about EWB to yourselves and why it matters, is its impact on people and the diversity of people and the bringing together of diverse people. And yeah, that was, that was fantastic. Yeah. Well, I guess thank you all so very much. And I think that's, that's a wrap. It's a pleasure. Thanks very much. Thank, right, you. thank, thank you. you. Never doubt that a small group of people can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. Thank you, Pat, Gavin, Chloe, Maddie, and Sophie for taking the time to share your story and passion for why EWB matters. Thank you also for the work that you guys and girls are doing at EWB. It's such important work. Pat, thank you for taking over the podcast today. You absolutely nailed it. If you want to find out more about or want to get involved with EWB, head to their website at www.ewb.org.au. That's the letters ewb.org.au and follow the prompts. They'd love to have you along. Students, professionals, corporate partners, all welcome. If you loved episode one of season two of Foundations by NGen, share it with someone. It's the second best way you can support us. The best way is to subscribe. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Podcasts by searching Foundations by NGen. We post all our updates on LinkedIn, so follow us there by searching for NGen Queensland.
As always, you can send me a message or email me directly at ngen.queensland at outlook.com. Until then, keep up the good work and we'll see you here next time to talk about why it matters.